if if you're at the couples, the the what, what I forget what we call it, the the marriage retreat for two, retreat for two, something like that. Couples, yesterday, if you were here, <laughs> we had some some couples here and we talked to them. Uh, but we spent two two sessions yesterday in Ephesians chapter five. I think I just told you Ephesians five. I really want you to be in Ephesians chapter six, but it's just the next chapter, so it shouldn't be too hard to find. Uh, but Ephesians five is where we were yesterday, and uh, we talked about in that passage of scripture the design for the wife, and then we talked about the design for the husband. Today, we're going to stay in the same passage of scripture because the theme that that Paul was talking about just continues on. Uh, many of you probably know this, but the verses and the chapters in your Bible today were not originally there. They were not inspired. They were added later, and they help us to be able to find our way in the Word of God. But but. They weren't there. It read as a book. It read as paragraphs. And so chapter 5, verse 6, there would be no chapter 5 and verse 6 in the original writings. And so the, 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 the flow, if you will, just continues on the same topic. Um, and, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. But before we read the Word of God, I want you to, or, or excuse me, before we pray, I want to read chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, and then we'll pray and get into the Word of God. Will you do me a favor? Will you stand with me and pay honor to the reading of God's Word this morning? Uh, Ephesians chapter 6. We're, we're just going to read verses 1 through 4. Verse 1 is a popular verse. Some of you parents may, if you're like me, this is the first verse I taught my children uh, because I wanted them to know it. Uh, and uh, Otis is 17. We're still working on that with him. Uh, but very important verses here, and, and it's, more, it's more than just children that Paul's talking to here. And, and we're going to talk about that in just a minute. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. How many of you memorized that verse as a child? Anybody in here that you had to memorize it because your parents, maybe they beat it into you like my parents did me. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. We're going to come back and talk about that in just a minute. It goes on in verse 2. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, that thou mayest live long, on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I want to preach to you this morning on God's design for the family. God's design for the family. Let's pray and we'll begin. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be here this morning. Thank you for, for each and every person that's here. God, I pray for the next few minutes. I pray that you'll open our hearts and minds. I pray that you'll help us to be receptive to your word. And I pray you'll help everyone here not just to listen to the words that I have to say, but God, I pray we'll, we'll listen to your Holy Spirit. God, I believe you have a message for us. I pray you'll help our hearts to be open and receptive to that message. God, help us to listen to you, to your word, and listen on purpose. God, help us to leave here today knowing that we've met with you. In your name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Uh, I mentioned my, my four kids a while ago. Uh, if you had the opportunity to, to meet my wonderful, obedient, well-minded, serious-minded children, then you would understand why Brother Darrell asked me to preach on the family this morning. I'm joking when I say that. My kids are, are, are wild, renegade heathens. No, I'm kidding. They're not. They're not. As of this day, they're, they're pretty good kids. I mean, they're, they're, they're doing well. Uh, my, the senior in high school is, unless God changes his mind or, or he just goes off the deep end, he's planning to attend Bible college next year. Uh, and, and we'll see if that happens. Hopefully, uh, God continues to direct him that way. But in all seriousness, my kids are still relatively young. Uh, 
Again, the oldest is, is 17. Uh, the youngest is 8. And, and I realize, in all honesty, the jury is still out on how my kids are going to turn out. I, I hope and pray that, 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 that they're good citizens. I hope and pray that they're good Christians. I hope and pray that they stay connected in church and serve God faithfully and, 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 and do what God wants them to do. I hope and I'm praying for that and, and, and I'm working with them, hoping that happens. But truth be told, I don't know that that's going to happen. Because everybody has a free will. And my children, no matter what I teach them, ultimately, they have to decide how they're going to live their life. I, I can put all the right things in them. I can teach them all the right things. I can bring them to church and teach them the Word of God. And that's my responsibility. But they can still decide that they're going to reject that. And, and they, that may happen. I hope it doesn't. But it may happen. And so I recognize that the jury really is still out on how are my kids going to turn out. And so I always say when I when I have the opportunity to preach or to teach on parenting and being a youth pastor for, for 18 years, I have that opportunity every now and then. When I have the opportunity to teach on parenting or biblical parenting, if I teach my opinion, then it's no better than anybody else's opinion. Even if my, even if my kids turn out good, my opinion doesn't matter. What matters is God's opinion. Now, I will say, if, if somebody's going to teach me how to raise my kids, I want to... I wanna, I want to hear from somebody that's done it, right? I mean, if, if I want somebody to teach me how to work on my car, I want somebody that knows how to work on a car, right? I want somebody to teach me how to paint a wall. I want somebody that knows how to paint a wall. If I want somebody to teach me how to parent. I want somebody that knows how to do it. Well, God knows how to do it. He's the one who created the family. And so, if what I'm giving you this morning is my opinion, then you can take it or leave it, because really, I'm a rookie at this thing. My kids are still young. They're not grown yet. But if what I'm giving this morning is from the Word of God, then we would all do well to heed the message of, of His Word. And so I, I beg you this morning for the, for the sake of your family to, to listen not to me, but listen to what God teaches in the area of the home. As parents, and I know many of you are parents, we have a great responsibility to teach and, and train our children to become the Christian adults that God's called them to be. I, I said this yesterday in, in our meeting with with. Uh, with husbands and wives. If, if you're a parent, you're not raising children. You're raising adults. Because when they're raised, when they're done, they're not children. Right? They're adults. My, my oldest son, he's 17. He's practically an adult. In fact, in another year, he'll be graduated and he'll be 18 and, and, and he can do what he wants to do. He decides he wants to pack up and leave and be gone and never talk to dad or listen to dad anymore. He can do that. Now, I hope he don't. And I, I'm going to do everything I can to keep that from happening. But I'm raising an adult. And we're raising adults with the children. And it's important for, we, for us to understand that. And as parents, we want to make sure we're putting in them the things that God desires and has called for us to put in them. I, I don't want to mess up in this area. Because you can't get a do-over. Right? You, you, we, get, we get one shot at it. Because once they're raised, it, it's, that's it. And so... My wife and I decided a long time ago that we were going to trust God when it comes to raising our children. And, and, and there's, there's too much at stake for me to trust anyone or anything else. And so I'm thankful that God, God didn't just leave us guessing. How do we do this? What, what am I supposed to do? God didn't just leave it, leave it up in the air. He's very clear on His plan for the Christian home. And I hope you'll be willing to follow what God has, has called us to. Now, let me say this. I, I I know and recognize and understand that 
It's very possible that somebody here this morning, you're not a Christian. You've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And I don't know, other than Brother Darrell and his wife, I've not met any of you until yesterday. So I don't know you. I don't know your heart. I don't know where you are in your walk with Christ or even if you have a walk with Christ. I'll just say this. What God is calling us to is Christian homes. And in order to have a Christian home, you must be a Christian. You must be a believer. You must be a follower in Christ. And, and, and even though I'm speaking and preaching mainly to the Christian this morning, I'll say if you're here this morning, if you're not saved or not sure that you're saved, then you can leave here today knowing for sure that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, knowing for sure that when you die, heaven will be your home. And it is as simple as recognizing and admitting that you are, number one, a sinner. That I am a sinner, and because of my sin, I have been separated from my God. And because of that separation, because of my sin, there's a penalty, but yet Christ paid that penalty for us. Christ died on the cross. He literally paid our hell for us. And if we'll put our faith and trust in Him, He will save us. And He can do that today. You may hear that, maybe be here this morning and you don't know for sure that your sins are forgiven. You don't know for sure that if you were to die, that heaven would be your home. You can leave here today knowing for sure that that's the case. And I hope and pray that you know that. And if you don't know that, then I hope that when church is over, you'll come talk to myself, Pastor Darrell, one of our wives, somebody here in the church, and we'll, we'll take a Bible and make sure you know for sure that your sins have been forgiven. But the message here is to the Christian, to the Christian parents. In the book of Ephesians, Paul has been discussing Christian relationships. In chapter 4, talks about, Paul talks about our relationship within the body of Christ and how we're to use our gifts as Christians to serve the church and to edify one another. In in chapter 5, he begins talking about what John Phillips calls our moral relationships and how we should avoid certain wicked influences in our lives. Later in chapter chapter 5, Paul talks about our marital relationships. He describes the roles of the husband and the wife. That's what we talked about yesterday for those of you who were here. And after the verses we read in chapter 6, Paul actually discusses the relationship between servants and their masters, or for us today, would be employees and employers. But our focus this morning is on verses 1 through 4. And, and that's where we're going to stay for the rest of the morning. Our vo- uh, in verses 1 through 4, Paul discusses the relationship between parents and, in, and their children. And in these few verses, we see a clear blueprint for biblical child rearing. For a biblical home, for God's design, if you will, for the family. And so I want you to notice, first of all, this morning, I want you to notice God's priorities for the family. God's priorities for the family. Just as God has given us specific roles in our marriages or in our marriage relationship, He's given us specific roles in the family unit when it comes to the parent and their children. First of all, I want you to notice. The child's obedience and respect is required. A child's obedience and respect is required. Now, I expected some of you parents to amen that. If you've got children, you ought to be like, yeah, that's right, nudging your kids if they're with you. Say, hey, pick that up. You ought to go to children's church, bring them back in here and say, hey, are you hearing this? I'm I'm kidding. kidding. Well, maybe a little bit. Children's obedience and respect, according to God, is required. God commands children not only to to obey, but also to honor. You say, what is the difference between obeying and honoring? I think I can give you a pretty clear example that we'll all understand. How many of you, as a child, were told to do something 
whether it be a parent or an authority figure, but you were told to do something and you did it, but you did it with a bad attitude. <laughs> take the trash out. Oh, take this stupid trash out. Why can't somebody else do this trash? We stomp and shut the door and fuss the whole way in, the whole, whole way out, the whole way back in. Anybody ever been there, done that? Clean your room and we did it, but we were fussing under our and just mad as fire. Did we obey? Yeah. Did you honor? Absolutely not. What's the difference between obey and honor? To honor your parents or to honor any authority is not only to obey, but it's to do it with a good attitude. That's, that's not the same thing, is it? Because we've all obeyed with a bad attitude. But obeying, or excuse me, yeah, obeying with a good attitude is what it means to honor. And so that's why the Bible doesn't stop with obey your parents. It also says honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. And certainly it, it goes beyond just obeying with a good attitude. I, I think especially as we get older and, and as, as children, as we become adults, how we treat our parents. And I do think we have a responsibility to, uh, as our parents get older, uh, to, to look after them, to provide for them, to make sure they're taken care of. I think all of that would fall under that honor. But certainly the attitude does come into play. But you know, to obey and to honor anybody, not just parents, is not something that comes naturally. Even if we teach them to obey, it's, it's, much, more tip, it's much more difficult to teach children to honor, to do it with a good attitude. I, I read, I've read a book as a parent. I've read this book, I think, three times, or maybe more. I know I've referenced the book several times. And if you're a parent and you have children that are teenagers or younger still in your house, I highly recommend you get this book. The book is by Ted Tripp. And the title of the book is Shepherding a Child's Heart. Uh, first of all, recognize as a parent, it will convict you. Uh, every time I've read the book, I've, I've just been under conviction. Like, man, I'm not nearly as good as I thought I was at this parenting deal. But it's an excellent book. It'll challenge you. It'll push you to give you a good biblical mindset for how to parent and how to treat your kids. But the emphasis of the book is how to speak to the heart of your child. The Bible teaches us that everything that we do flows from the heart. The Bible says, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Everything we do, our actions, everything we do in life is a result of what is in our heart. And so, many parents are guilty of teaching behavior modification to their children. In other words, we want you to act this way because if you don't act this way, it reflects on me. And, and, and so what we do is we react to what we see on the outside. Kids misbehaving, disobeying, doing this, doing that. And so we just, behavior modification, whatever we can do to, to make them do what I want them to do. But here's the problem. And, and I'm not saying you can't do or shouldn't do any of that. We're called to reach the heart of the child. Why are they acting the way they're acting? As a parent, it's our responsibility to find out that why to connect with the heart of our children and mold not the, out for the outward behavior, but to mold the heart of the child. And, and when we reach the heart of the child, again, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh, the, the kid lives. We, we, it flows from the heart. And so as parents, we should target the heart. And many times the actions are the result of, or an attitude of the heart. And so... That's why God says not only to obey, but also to honor. And so I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Brother Mark, our kids are in children's church. 
you need to be preaching them this to them, not to us. We're the parents or we're the adults here. Why are you preaching that to us? Well, I certainly understand that this passage is a command, especially verses 1 and 2, to the children, but I also understand these passages, these verses, gives us some important information to the parents as well. So I want you to notice not only the child's obedience is respected, in, in, a child's obedience and respect is re- required, I want you to notice the parent's authority is implied. The parent's authority is implied. It is a sad day that we have to remind parents that they are the ones in charge. But that is the world we live in. Because in a lot of homes, the parents are not, the, the parents not in charge, the child is. The kids are. Many of us have seen and known of homes where the child is the authority in the home. If the child cries, if they whine enough, then the parents just give in and give them what they want to stop them from whining and crying. Listen, at my house, if a kid whines, that's the surest way not to get it. And my kids know that. If you whine for it, you're not getting it. You can hang that up. And But so many parents, just we, we just give in. But listen, can we be honest? Parenting is hard work. It's hard work. <laughs> And, and and if if in an attempt to get some relief sometimes, we just kind of give in. We just give in, give in. But you know what we're doing? We're pushing the difficulty down the road. Pushing it down the road because it's going to come back. And what we're doing is when we give in to every whim, every whine, every cry, what we're doing is saying, hey, you're the authority and you can you know what you can do. And we we'll, we start teaching them how to manipulate us. Instead of letting, instead of becoming the authority, I personally know, and, and of course, being in a ministry, I've seen this. I personally know of situations where, where kids as, as young as eight, nine, make decisions as to where they're going to go to church and where they're going to go to school. And listen, I want input from my children. I want to know what they want, but I'm their authority, and I will answer to God for the decisions that I make for my family. I'm not letting my children make those decisions. Again, I may ask them what they want. I may ask them why they want it and what their desires are, but I'm going to make the decision. And as parents, we must recognize and understand that it is our authority to lead our homes. And if you're a parent, you must understand that you're the authority in your child's life. And so you're given the responsibility to make the decision. Your child is required to obey and to honor. That doesn't happen on accident. Your children, like mine, has a sin nature. How many of you, if you have children, how many of you had to teach your kids how to lie? How many of you had to teach your kids how to sin? Anybody anybody teach your kids? You didn't have to teach them, did you? You know why? (laughs) It, It comes natural. You know why it comes natural to your kids? Because it came natural to you. You know, your kids got their sin nature from their parents. That's you. So they have a sin nature. because You don't have to teach them how to sin. We have to teach them how not to sin, right? We have to teach them how God says they should live. Our, our kids have a sin nature and, and kids don't naturally submit to authority. Submission is not a part of our sin nature. We talked about that some yesterday. And so as parents, we must accept the role that God has given us as the authority of our kids' life. Again, that's not to say our children can't have input in decisions. They can. But I'm the ultimate authority. You're the ultimate authority in your home. 
And as a parent, you should never back down for fulfilling the God-given role of authority in your child's life. Don't apologize for being what God has called you to be. In this passage, Paul assumes that the parent is the one in authority. One of the major problems in our society today is that there is little to no respect for authority. You know where that has started? It started in the home. It started in the home. As, as the homes go in our country and in our society, our country will soon follow. And, and the lack of authority that we're seeing in our nation right now, in our world right now, is a result of the fact there's no authority in the home. And that parents have not, as a whole, taken on that responsibility, accepted the responsibility that God's called them to. And so you're not helping your child by allowing them to get away with disobedience or dishonoring. In fact, in verse 3, I want you to notice God's promise for the child. I want you to notice God's promise for the child. Verse 3, the Bible says this, that it may... Why does, why does, why does God call the child to obey and to honor? Because verse 3 says that it may be well with thee and that thou mayest live long on the earth. Paul is quoting the fifth of the Ten Commandments. And the child who honors his parents can expect two blessings. Number one, the Bible says it will be well with him. Number two, the Bible says he'll live long on the earth. Now, this does not mean that everybody who died young dishonored their parents. And it doesn't mean if you obey and honor your parents, you'll live to be a hundred years old. That, that, that's not what it means here. Uh, he's stating a principle. Paul is stating a principle. It's also common sense if you think about it. When children obey their parents in the Lord, naturally they're going to escape a lot of danger, a lot of sin, a lot of dangerous things, and, and avoid things that could, could threaten to end their life short. If a person lives a rebellious life, there, there's a good chance they'll you know, they'll find themselves in bad shape and a bad situation and, and their life could be cut short. But life is not measured only by quantity of time, but also quality of time. And God enriches and God blesses the life of the obedient child. Sin always robs us of joy, but God promises to bless our obedience. <clears throat> I got a picture. Did we have that picture to show? Is that, is that, hey, put that up if you will. This is a picture from Ted Tripp's book, the book I mentioned earlier, Shepherding a Child's Heart. And let me try to explain what the picture, I know there's a lot going on there. And well, you said, what does it mean? You see the danger on the left, you see the safety on the right. The circle on the right side is encircling the child, the boy there. That represents God's protection. That represents God. Uh, uh, God. When we honor, when we obey, when we do the things God has called us to, we are, if you will, encircled by God's protection. Now, that doesn't mean bad things can't happen to the person in that circle. Because we all face difficulties. Whether we're living for God or not, whether we're Christians or not, we all face tough times because we live in a sinful world. And so the circle doesn't reprimand, doesn't say nothing bad can ever happen. Here's what it means. Nothing will ever happen to you without God allowing it to happen. It's what we see in the life of Job. Job suffered and lost everything. Why? Because he served God. Not, not, not because he was living in sin. There was no sin. Because he loved God, he suffered. You read the story, read the, the book of Job, you'll see that. But nothing happened in the life of Job without God allowing it to happen. 
God was in control and God had a purpose and God had a plan through it all. And so that circle, when a child obeys parents, when a child obeys and respects and honors authority in their life, you have a circle of protection with you. And, and not, only is, is, is you're, not only will you live the life that God wants you to live and fulfill the days that God has for you, but those will be good days. Listen, the happiest I've ever been is when I was in the center of God's will doing what God wanted me to do. And the most unhappy I've ever been is when I'm away from God, knowing that there's sin in my life, knowing there's something in my heart that God is not pleased with. You can read Psalm chapter 32 and Psalm chapter 51 and read about the pain and the anguish that David went through when he was living in sin. And he talks about his, his bones were as if, as if they were broken. Why? Because of sin in his heart. Because he knew he wasn't right with God. He was a miserable person. That's why he prayed, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Listen, we can be, we can be Christians and, and, and live in misery because we're holding on to sin in our life. Psalm, six, uh, Psalm 60, I can't even think of the verse now. The Bible says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Psalm 66, 18, I believe. We hold on to sin. Literally, the verse is saying that God doesn't even respond to our prayer unless we're confessing that sin. We can live in pain. We can live in, 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 that, in that dishonor, that danger section. And we're, if we're living like that, then, then bad things are, are liable to happen to us. I think any good parent, any Christian parent desires for that child, for their child to remain in that circle of safety. I want my kids to remain in that circle of safety. I want them to be protected. I want God's protection upon them. The question is, how do I keep my kids there? How do I get my kids into that circle? How, how can I make sure that my kids desire to have God's blessings in their life? A third point this morning, God's, pre God's process for the family, for the parents. Verse 4, read with me. The Bible says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. A lot of parents, including myself, are really quick to, to quote Ephesians chapter 1 and 2. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. This is right. I mean, that, that, again, we, we learned it when we were young. Many of us did. Many of us taught it to our kids when they were young because we wanted them to obey, right? You, I said, how many, how many of you have ever said to your child, you said do something, they said why, you said because I said so. Anybody, anybody said that? I've said that. I mean, I've said it a thousand times to my kids. Why have I got that? Because I said so. Now, I will say this. There, there's nothing wrong with doing that. But as your kids get older, you better learn to give them reasons for the rules that you have. And again, when they're young, that, that's good, that is a good enough reason. But as they get older, and I'm not talking about simple things like take out the trash, because I'm going to still say that to my kids if they give me lip about that. But I'm talking about when it comes to serious things. Why do we do this? Why do we go to church? Why do we have this? As your kids, the older your kids get, the more reasons they need. And I think they deserve reasons. Uh, and, and so you got to have reasons for the rules that you have in your home, reasons for the things that you do. Let me say this, and I think this comes up later in just a minute as well. Rules without relationships produces rebellion every single time. You're going to have rules for your children. You better have a relationship with your children. 
Because if you have rules, if you're saying do this, do that, and you never give them any reasons, and you don't have a relationship, you're going to produce a rebellious child. And so make sure with the rules that you have, that you have reasons for them, make sure that you have a relationship with them. But I'm convinced that if parents will do what verse 4 commands, that you'll have children that are much more likely to do what verse 1 and 2 commands them to do. Again, kids still have a free will. They can still get older and decide they want to do what they want to do. But it makes it a lot easier for them to do verses, verses 1 and 2 if we will do verse 4. Let me ask you a question if you have kids. Do you want your children to obey and honor you? Do you want them to respect authority? Do you want them to submit to God and to His authority? Do you want them to remain in that circle of safety? If so, it begins with us, the parents. <clears throat> and it's important to note that the word fathers here, verse 4, and ye fathers, the Greek word there is pateres. It's also translated in the Bible as parents. Paul's not speaking only to the fathers and not the mothers. He's, he's literally speaking to both because the word means parents, father and mother, here in this passage of Scripture. And so in verse 4, God gives us three, this, three directives to raising our children. I'm going to give you these three things. We're going to pray and we're going to be out of here. So stay with me just a few more minutes. In verse 4, three directives. Number one, be consistent. Be consistent. How can I be a parent who raises kids who desire to know God and to stay in that circle of, of safety? Number one, be consistent. When Paul says, provoke not your children to wrath, he's telling us to not use our authority to abuse the child, but to encourage them and to build them. In a parallel passage in Colossians 3.21, Paul says, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. The opposite of provoke is encourage. And we must be careful that in our parenting, we don't discourage our children. It's extremely easy to discourage a child as a parent. Now, I can't tell you in, in, in my years of ministry how many times I've had to talk with somebody and counsel with somebody and they were dealing with bitterness toward a parent. Because that parent had discouraged them or done something to them and and. and and, and oftentimes, I'm, I'm working with someone trying to, trying to, in fact, just last week, I was talking and counseling with a lady that was struggling with some bitterness toward a mom because of some things that happened years ago. Parents, we need to be careful that we don't discourage. <clears throat> when, we, when we do this, we're inconsistent. We're unfair in our discipline. We can do this by being unfair. We can do this by saying one thing and doing another, by making promises and not keeping them, by showing favoritism, by making light of their problems. Hey, when your children come to them, come to you with problems, even if they're, I'm talking about little, two, three, four, and then as they get older, it may seem like a minor problem to you, but it's a big deal to them. And if it's a big deal to them, it ought to be a big deal to you. Don't just, don't just act like their problems don't matter because you think yours are bigger. Their problems are that big to them. And, in the, and as they get older, man, they have problems in school with friends and then they start, they start dating and boyfriend and girlfriend and we can roll our eyes and be like, oh yeah, everybody goes through it. Hey, you better make their problems a big problem to you. Because they recognize that. And that helps bond and build that relationship with your children. And Christian parents, as Christian parents, we need the help of the Holy Spirit so that we can be sensitive to the needs. I kept going back and to chapter to verse 8. I 
can't even get it right. I'm from Alabama, y'all. Sometimes big numbers give me trouble. Chapter 5, verse 18 is what I'm trying to say. Kept going back to that verse yesterday. The Bible says, And be not drunk with wine where it is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. None of this is possible. None of what we're talking about, whether it's the child, the parent, or whatever, the, the, the husband, the wife, none of this is possible without the help of the Holy Spirit in your life. As a Christian, you must submit yourself to the Holy Spirit. If you're going to be the parent that God wants you to be, if you're going to be the husband that God wants you to be, if you're going to be the wife that God wants you to be, if you're going to be the child that God wants you to be, if you're going to be the father or the mother that God wants you to be, you must have the help of the Holy Spirit in your life. That's why it's so important that you learn the value of walking with Him, of spending time with Him. That's why Pastor Darrell has started the discipleship groups. And man, if you're not in a discipleship group, I encourage you to get plugged in with that. Our church does the same thing. We were talking about it some this morning. And hey, you need a relationship with Him. You need the Holy Spirit guiding you. You're not going to be the father or the mother that God wants you to be if you're not being led by the Holy Spirit. We must have Him in our lives. Perhaps the biggest cause for discouragement is our inconsistency. Make up your mind that you're going to be consistent with your child. That you're going to be consistent in your home. Paul then uses a phrase that, that many of us have, have heard and used maybe many times. Paul says, You fathers or parents, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. But what does that mean? What does it mean to bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord? Well, I'm glad you asked. Look at it with me. The word nurture literally means chastisement. The literal translation is chastisement. It carries the idea of learning through discipline. Now, I know modern experts tell us that, that discipline and spanking will warp a child's personality. I think spanking will warp something, but it's not their personality. Truthfully, discipline is a basic principle of life and it's an evidence of love. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 6, the Bible says, Whom the Lord loveth, He chasteneth. Proverbs 13.24 He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. I want to say, and I want to be really clear on this, I'm as against child abuse as anybody. I think somebody abuses a child, I think they ought to they, they ought to be locked up. I think they ought to have the uh, a, a, you know as much punishment as the law will allow toward that person. I think it's never okay for a person to abuse a child. But let me tell you something. Spanking administered in the correct way and with a correct spirit is far from child abuse. Some of the most precious times I've ever had with my children has been after I had to discipline them. But it's when I do it the right way. We must be sure as parents that we discipline in the right manner. It must be in love, not in anger. How many of you have ever been angry at your child? If you have one, you've been angry at them. Listen, we can't discipline them in anger. Because we're not teaching them anything. We're not, we're not connecting with the heart of that child. And, and, and I'd be a liar if I told you that I've never disciplined my children in anger. I have, but I've also had to go down, go back and sit down and look at them in the eye and with a tear in my eye say, I'm sorry, your daddy was wrong. Will you forgive me? By the way, that'll go a long way with connecting the heart of your child. But our discipline's in love. 
You see, we're not, we're not disciplining them for the sake of discipline. We're not disciplining them for behavior modification. We're disciplining them so that we can connect with the heart. And if you discipline and don't look for that opportunity to, to connect with the heart, then you're missing it. And your discipline's all for naught. If you're angry, get along with God until your spirit is right before you discipline your child. If we are not disciplined ourselves, then we are in no shape to discipline our children. Flying off the handle, getting angry, does not make a better child or a better parent. So if your discipline is to be biblical, then it must be fair, it must be consistent, it must be done in the right spirit. And that's exactly what Paul means by the word nurture. Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord means that we are consistent in our discipline and that we are biblical and that we're doing it out of love and out of a right spirit. But then notice the word admonition. The word admonition literally means instruction. More specifically, it means instruction by words. Nurture would be instruction by deeds. Admonition is instruction by words. Parents are not only to use actions to raise a child, but, but also their words. I know that sounds simple, but I believe this is where a lot of Christian parents fail in raising their children. If you're going to discipline your children biblically, then you cannot exclude extensive Communication with your child. You must talk with them as well as discipline them. Many, a lot of parents, I've, man, I've talked to a lot of parents who they're, they're really big on this discipline thing. They're really big on this nurturing. They're really big on this chastisement. But, but man, they're really weak on conversation, on communication. In Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 13, the Bible says, Withhold not correction from the child. For if thou beatest him with a rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him with a rod and shall deliver his soul from hell. And when we talk about discipline, a lot of parents stop reading right there. But if you continue reading that passage in verse 19, the Bible says, Hear thou, my son, and be wise, and guide thine heart in the way. In verse 22, Hearken unto thy father, and beget thee, and despise not thy mother. The biblical approach to, to raising children involves two elements. One is discipline, but the other is rich, full communication. Discipline and communication must be woven together in the raising of your children. That's why I said a while ago, if you have rules, and if you have kids, you better have rules, but you also better have reasons. And in order to have reasons, you know what you have to do? You have to communicate with your child. You have to talk with them. By the way, I know that's tough sometimes. Because sometimes they don't want to communicate. But as parents, we've got to accept our role as leaders in this area and just keep on. Keep on making ourselves available. Talking to them. Giving them. Asking them. Prodding questions. From time to time, I'll intentionally, sometimes it just kind of happens, but I look for opportunities to get in a vehicle with, with just me and one of my children. And I just start asking them questions. You know, it starts something simple. How'd you, how was your day? Did you have a good day? I pick on my, my little ones, you, my little girl. Did you talk to any boys today? You better not talk to any boys. You look at a boy today, I give them, I always do that because they're not allowed to date until they're 45. <clears throat> so I, I just I start picking and have a little fun. But, but then 
And as they get older, the questions get more serious. My oldest is, uh, is, is allowed to date right now. And by dating, that means he can be at my house or her parents' house. Uh, her, his girlfriend's parents are on staff at our church as well, so I trust them, and that's their date. And, and by the way, some people think, man, you're crazy. I don't care. It's my responsibility to keep him in that circle of safety. And that's one of the ways that we're doing that. And, and they do, they have a very healthy, I believe, a, a Christian relationship right now. And, and, and those are just, those, we have some rules. But when, when, when my 16-year-old son, uh, about a year ago, were riding home from church, just me and him, we're having one of those conversations, he said, Dad, am I allowed to have a girlfriend? How many 16-year-old boys ask their dad if they're allowed to have a girlfriend anymore? You know, you, know, you know why we were able to have that conversation? Because I've communicated with him. Because I've told him, you know, you're not allowed to do this, but here's why. And so when he asked me that question, number one, I started laughing because I knew who he liked. I mean, they, you know, it's pretty obvious. Uh, he, he didn't think I knew, but everybody in the church knew because, you know, you've seen boys and girls, right? So we had a, a very healthy conversation. And I said, okay, I'll let you have a girlfriend, but you've got to do three things. I said, number one, I have a book that you need to read. I had a book that was written on healthy Christian dating, and, and I wanted him to read that book. Number two, I said, I want you to talk to your youth pastor. We have a youth pastor at our church, a kid that was in our youth group raised up. I told you I was a youth pastor for 15 years. Three years ago, he kind of took over that role, doing a tremendous job with our teenagers. I said, I want you to talk to him. Because I want him to know that authority, the Bible says in the multitude of counselors, there's safety. If you're making a decision in your life, a major decision, and by the way, dating is a major decision because you're going to marry somebody you date. And who you marry is pretty important. In fact, I think it's the second most important decision I've ever made in my life. Number one, been giving my heart and life to Christ. And so I wanted him to, know, to learn to go to authority to make big decisions. So I want him to talk to his youth pastor. And I said, you've got to ask her daddy's permission. And I, I thought, I thought that might slow him down a little bit. He was in the youth pastor's room the next day. And then he was asking me, Dad, you got that book yet? I had to order it. I, he read it in like half a day, and then he, he talked to her dad like that. I'm like, well, I guess the boy's pretty serious about it. But why, why are we able, and, and listen, I'm not a perfect parent, far from it. Man, I mess up all the time. But why, why was I able to have that type of conversation with my son? Because I've been having conversations. Because I've looked for opportunities. I've made opportunities. Even when it, he's uncomfortable, it's uncomfortable for me sometimes to, to, to say, hey, how's, how's your relationship with Mikey right now? How's your relationship with your girlfriend? That's, that's not always easy. That's not always comfortable. It's, it's what God's called me to do. If you're a parent, it's what God's called you to do. And, and we've got to not only discipline, and he's, I mean, he's so big now, he can whoop me if he, he, he don't know it yet, but he probably could. <laughs> and I, he could whoop me. It's not me spanking him anymore. He'd be spanking me. We wrestled the other day and he about killed me. I mean, he's grown. He's stronger than I am. He, the, the, the discipline is so much different now. It's, it's more of just a communication. But it's more than discipline. It's, it's all about communication. It's all about talking. So parents, I beg you, please discipline your kids. Please have rules. But have reasons. But if you're going to have reasons, You've got to have a relationship. You've got to talk. You've got to communicate. They've got to understand why you have those reasons and why they matter and why they're important. And let me say, let those reasons come from the Word of God. Let those principles come from this book. <clears throat> the biblical approach to child rearing. 
It involves discipline, but it involves much, much, much communication. Your, your first objection in correcting your children must not be to tell your children how you feel about what they've done. You must connect with the heart and find out what is going on on the inside of them. And connect with the heart of your child. If we're to do this, we've got to develop the skill of not only discipline, but communicating. Proverbs 25, verse 5, the Bible says, Counsel is in the heart of a man like a deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. You talk with your children, you've got to draw it out. You've got to find out what are they feeling. And listen, it takes time. It takes time. It's not going to happen in one conversation. Maybe not in ten. It takes weeks, months, years. But that is our responsibility. Connecting with the heart of your child is just as important as the discipline that you give. The reason why so many children obey and not honor is because as parents, we failed in our responsibility to raise them in the nurture, the discipline, and the admonition, the communication with our children. So, say, Brother Mark, what am I supposed to do with this? Well, number one, if you're a parent, be committed to raising your children biblically. And, and, and listen, don't, don't, don't be so full of pride you can't seek help. Go talk to a pastor. Go talk to somebody who, who you've watched raise their children biblically and do it the right way. And hey, Again, the multitude of counselors, their safety. But be committed to raising your children biblically. Be willing to follow God's plan of encouraging, disciplining, and communicating. Then I'd say, number two, be real. Be real. Your kids know if you're real or not. Listen, teenagers can spot hypocrisy quicker than anybody I've ever seen in my life. If you, if you want to raise good kids, then you better be real. You better make sure your walk with God is where it should be. Then number three, talk with your children. Talk with your children. As a youth pastor for 18 years, one of the biggest weaknesses that I saw with parents and their kids is the fact there was very little real, meaningful conversation. Communication is so important. I'm so glad this morning God hasn't left us to figure this out on our own. In every area of life, He's given us guidelines to follow. Let's be willing as Christians to follow His guidelines. Maybe you've, maybe you've failed. Maybe you're here this morning, your parent, you're like, man, I, I've not done a good job. I have failed at this. Hey, that's okay. It's okay. Ask God to forgive you. Ask your children to forgive you. And tell them, I'm going to do my best to, from this point forward to do and be what God's called me to be. Will you bow with me this morning, heads bowed and eyes closed? <clears throat> If I want my children to experience the promise of verse 3, then I must put into practice the process of verse 4. I must be willing to encourage them to connect with their heart. I must be willing to discipline them as hard as that is sometimes as a parent. And then I've got to be willing to connect with them, to communicate with them. Teach them the reasons we're doing what we're doing. To teach them the Word of God. If you're here this morning, I, I know I mentioned this, every head's bowed and every eye's closed. Nobody's looking around. I'm not going to call anybody out or embarrass anybody. But I know for the most part, I preach to the Christians. Specifically to the Christian parents. You may be here this morning, you say, I'm, I'm not a parent. could be here this morning, you say, Brother Mark, I'm not even a Christian. 
And I know I didn't preach toward that. I mentioned it briefly at the beginning. But if you're here this morning, if you don't know the Lord is your Savior, you don't know for sure that if you were to die, heaven would be your home. Listen, you, you don't have to leave here today wondering. You can leave here today knowing. 